Welcome to the Strategy with Jason podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy with Jason. Today, I have a very special guest. We have some awesome topics to talk about today. I have Mr. Eric Brown with me. Eric, what's going on? How you doing? Doing great, Jason. Thanks for the invite. Hey, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to connect and do this. And, uh, you know, we've been talking before we started recording for the last 30 minutes about uh, today's topics. I'm, I'll give you honest with you. I'm actually really, really excited about diving okay. into some of these topics. Uh, yeah. But before we do that, though, I always like kicking off these podcasts with a little origin story because I'm always super fascinated to find out how people got started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry. So, so Eric, how did you get started in this crazy world? <laughs> With a crazy world, yeah, go back to my mom and my dad in Iowa, you know, yeah. and dad fell in love. Um, no, so, uh, you know, I, I've been involved in internet marketing and advertising for uh, since it sort of started back in the middle 90s. And then I got recruited by a company called Dominion Enterprises um, that had just acquired a website uh, hosting company for automotive dealers. Mm -hmm. And they were looking for, quote unquote, professional management. They settled on me. <laughs> and uh, nice. so I went to work there and, and uh, quickly, you know, uh, you know, got immersed in the automotive world. Um, and then I met actually one of the owners of that company who had sold it to Minion. And he and I uh, did some brainstorming around an idea I'd been carrying a long time relevant to the Internet. And we launched a, a company called Datium, which uh, was a behavior analytics company that used unstructured clickstream data to predict intent and vehicle consideration and ultimately purchase. Uh, well, what so year that was really that? Because that's pretty, that's really cool. What year was that? So we, we founded the company in 2009, launched the product in 2010. Wow. So you were early to that. to IHS. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah, it was fun. And we, uh, we learned a lot there. I made a lot of uh, great friends. We had a lot of great customers. You know, Nissan, Cars.com, AutoTrader, tons of dealers. We had at one point, you know, we were tracking 9,000 automotive websites for behavioral data. And uh, we would do a bunch of regression analysis to score people's intent. We called it auto shopper intensity. Now, did and, you uh, did you ever well, think you were going to get into automotive? Did you did you grow up going, I'm going to get into automotive one day? You know, no, that wasn't me. I was all about uh, sales and marketing, advertising. I started out in the newspaper industry, then got into direct mail. And I sort of just kept moving down the continuum of, of data and targetability of media. So from newspaper to direct mail to internet um, and, and then, you know, digital marketing, et cetera. And then, you know, our data at Datium was used by all the major data exchanges still there. In fact, that's sitting in the Oracle data cloud, for example, and we're essentially scoring cookies for probability of purchase of various makes and models and years. This um, is, this is definitely one of those industries that once it's kind of in your blood, like yeah. it is really difficult to get it out. So it doesn't surprise me that you kind of, you stumbled your way in and then you stayed and you became a lifer because I think for yes. a lot of us, that's exactly what happened. I had absolutely no intention of getting into automotive. Um, I was going to go off and do marketing. I was going to make the next bum 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 bum. Like that's, that's, that's what my goal was. And um, I got sucked into a summer a summer job selling cars and then the rest is history. You just, you just get it in you and it's so hard to get out because it's such a fun yeah. business to be in because it's so challenging from an operations perspective. 
from a marketing perspective, and then just how the marketing and the operations try to live together but challenge each other at the exact same time in this crazy ecosystem that we call a car dealership. And it's it's a fun place. And and funny thing is, there's a lot of things are changing on such a regular basis. In fact, like that's actually one of our first topics today. And it's so timely right now because if you've if you're watching or listening right now and you've logged into your ad manager account, and I don't care which which ad account it is, you've been smacked across the face with big red banners that talks about the iOS 14 update and overall just the death of the cookie. Um, now, yeah. these, these aren't chocolate chip cookies. These are cookies that we... That, that we I'm actually, those should never die, by the those way. Those should never die. You know what? I'm actually not a cookie fan. Are you a cookie fan? I, I love cookies. Yeah. <laughs> cookies with ice cream on the side. Put those two oh, things together. Done. Cookies yeah. and ice cream. I can deal with that. But you know what? Hey, um, Eric, for everybody out there watching list and listening right now, and maybe don't know what kind of cookies <laughs> we're talking about, <laughs> um, can you can you explain a little bit by what we mean uh, when we say the death of the cookie? Well, so we, we, yeah, so there's sort of the uh, tactical efforts of people like Google and Apple, et cetera, and then there's the sort of the technical side of it, which means you know the third party cookie particularly is going away in terms of our ability to track consumers from website to website. And so that's uh, going to impact the targetability, um, uh, the reliability of that targeting as well uh, for a lot of ecosystems. And I'm sure everybody's seen, you know, um, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, you know, going after Apple for, you know, killing the, killing the cookie in this uh, update, um, the third party cookie. Yes. And of course, sort of tactically, you know, all, all the major, uh, platforms are trying to build their own walled gardens, which, you know, I would too if I owned one of them. And I definitely think that's what Apple is doing. And it kind of just kind of it, why this is important to your car dealership is for for most dealerships, websites, all right, roughly up anywhere between 40 and sometimes up to 60% of your traffic is coming from a device like this. Yes. And in some cases, it can even be higher. All right. Um, and the fact that Apple has come out and said that we cannot remarket to customers significantly impacts just kind of the, the fundamental marketing strategy as an industry that we've been imp that we've been executing on for the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years almost, it feels like. I'm trying to think. Google AdWords, I started AdWords in 04. So yeah, I guess it is almost, yeah. almost, almost 20 years. I mean, like we've relied on uh, somebody coming to our website and then, you know, remarking, remarketing to that customer in a very high frequency over a 30 day window of buy from me, buy from me, buy from me, buy from me. And, and what we're saying is that's, that's dead, uh, which brings some bring some opportunities and some challenges. What opportunities and challenges do you see uh, with the death of the cookie, Eric? Well, I think there's a, a broader trend that maybe the death of the cookie is symptomatic of. And that is this, what I talk about is the inversion of the internet where we're going from an environment where the internet is used to navigate to content, mm. you know, where, where we click on an ad and it takes us somewhere. We click on an ad and then we get to that somewhere and we have to, we have to find the content in case of an automotive dealership site. I have to do the inventory search and then I have to scroll a page and then I have to find a car I like. And hopefully I scroll the page less than half people do scroll actually. Uh, and then I click on that car and I go through the content and all that stuff. So that's all navigation of content. Um, and the internet's inverting to where our devices are essentially going to do that navigation for us. And they're going to curate that content back to us. So, 
you know, simple illustrations of this are ask, asking Siri to show you, you know, delis near you. Well, it's curating content, you know, across a, a you know, a pipe uh, using APIs and it's pulling that together and it's customizing that content, curating it for you based on where you are. Uh, and over time, it gets more and more information. It'll start to rank even those delis based upon maybe your purchase history. And so the idea is that the Internet has moved from websites hosted on private servers connected by links to a massive database in the cloud connected through APIs. And so now it's going to become, I think, you know, more of a command and control environment where I command my devices to find information for me. Or even as we move forward, my devices start to anticipate my needs uh, and, and then begin to pull that content forward to me, wherever I may be, uh, even, you know, even within like with HTML5, even within an ad itself sitting on CNN.com, for example, or Fox News or wherever you may be, uh, I can click a button and command that content to be, you know, presented well, and, to. And, and that's why we're seeing, this is why the death of the cookie is happening, because you kind of said it earlier, right? Um, uh, all, all these big players are, are creating their island and they're putting their walls up, you know, for, for the last, you know, 15 or 20 years, it's more been about the, the, the sharing of information and how we can kind of uh, layer on top of each other. But now that's kind of going away, right? I mean, right. even right now, I talk to my friends and it's like, um, for us, we're an Alexa family, all right? Um, mm -hmm. I have six Alexas uh, throughout my house. Now, my brother-in-law's you yeah. have five. Did, did, did yeah, yours five. just go off as I was saying that? I, I was just <laughs> looking over there at her to see if she did. Yes. Um, now, my, my brother-in-law is a Google. Uh, my my brother-in-law is very much so in his house is a, a Hey Google. And, you know, and then and then I have another friend that is is bought into the Apple home, which now everything is a uh, Hey Siri. And so but but you're you're 100 percent right. So this is why this is kind of this is, this is like the first step. Mm -hmm. of, you know, kind of the world starting to separate and you deciding which direction you're going and how you're going to uh, ask for information and which and, and where you're going to interact with that information. But I think it's important that we kind of talk a little bit about kind of what this next subject is about is why this is happening. And uh, we talked a little bit about this earlier. The reason this is happening is because the consumer's demand for a shopping experience has fundamentally changed uh, it's not the what we used to think it is, and as for I think for a lot of people watching, listening, it's probably what you. It's probably not what you think it is now, Eric. I know you got some great insights on this. When I when I say you know the consumer demand for a shopping experience has changed, how do you what what's your gut reaction when I say that? Well, so the first thing I think of is the guiding principle of all adoption today, and that is convenience. You know, you know, it's it's. I want what I want when I want it. And I want that to be faster every day. I have a son actually works for Amazon and he's been involved in, you know, how do we get uh, a product to a consumer on the same day they order it. Right. And all of the logistics around, you know, how many, how many tubes of toothpaste do we put where and what zip codes and all those fun things. And uh, I'm actually in a market guys, where machine learning is allowing us to do that now. So consumers yeah. like it used to be three days was amazing. Now, same day is, you know, getting to be the expectation. So, so it, first off, it's convenience. Don't make me visit 28 websites over our 90 to 110 days to find the car I want. I just want to ask somebody, you know, and the other thing is it, it's really sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy, this desire for convenience, because the other thing the internet has done is it made everything available to us. Um, and, 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 you know, all these sort of efficiencies, like we're seeing more and more car brands and we're seeing electrification. And so, 
So now as a consumer, I'm overwhelmed with choices. So weirdly enough, my machines have provided so many choices to me. I now need my machines to manage the gateway between me and those choices and make exactly. some of that do some of that decisioning for me, make some of those choices for me based on what my machines have learned about me. No, you know, so the, and those machines are learning so much. You know, what's funny is I really see this with my kids. All right. The, the way that they use Alexa and Siri is very, very different than way, the way I use it. And, you know, they're relying on what uh, the, the opinion of Alexa or the opinion of mm -hmm. Siri heavily. Right. right. Um, you know, I watched my son the other day, you know, say, uh, hey, hey, Alexa, what's the fastest car in the world? And right. they came up with some random, random car. In fact, it's funny is I didn't even recognize the name of the car when it said it. Right. And I was like, okay. So right. then I went and said, Hey, Hey Siri, what's the safest car in the world? And, mm -hmm. and, and Siri actually pulled up a series of articles around Volvo. Right. And I was like going, well, that's interesting, you know? So, but, but, but to your point, like, I see that that's how we are going. Sorry, I missed that. Oh, whoopsie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, Siri. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Actually, that's another funny thing. Um, I'm forcing my kids to be polite to their devices. Oh, nice. I don't know if you, I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but you know, it's like we don't say thank you or we don't say no. please. And I always think it's kind of weird. And, and I and I see my kids engaging a lot with these devices so much that I saw, started seeing a pattern in their own language efforts. And the right. words of kind of you know you know thank you for that or please for this started going away. So I actually make them when they talk to Alexa say thank you. Or I say it too, thank you Alexa or something like that. Anyways, I digress. Right. Um, right. But but no, you're you're 100 right. Like. Our, our demand for a shopping experience is is more of one around um, advice. Like, right. give, give me the information I need, okay? And I might have really three or four questions, all right? And then based on how that device or how that information has come back to me or what that information is, then I can kind of make the choice of how, what the next shopping experience is going to be. Um, right. But I think this changes a lot of you know, of, of how a dealership kind of views the shopping experience. And I think there's some things that a dealership can be doing right now, you know, because I think when a dealer, like when dealerships are listening and watching this right now, they're like, do I need to go hire someone to code an app for Alexa? I don't, yeah. what, what am I supposed to do right now? But I think there yeah. are some things we could do right now. What, what, what would you recommend, you know, if there's a dealership out there watching, listening, they're shaking their head, they're agreeing with us. Like how can a dealership start ad, uh, adjusting that customer shopping experience right now? Uh, well, so a couple of things. One is to start thinking about it from the consumer's perspective. Uh, if you if you look at a dealership website, they're all oriented toward themselves. You know that they're asking consumers to do things that benefit them. So start to look at, you know, are you providing content that uh, engages the consumer uh, in a way that's assisting them in discovery, not. Exactly. Um, manipulating them in discovery. I'm trying to think of a good, good way, you know, explain well, that. But we actually, you know, you actually brought, we brought this up a little bit before we started recording, like digital retailing. Like, right. like don't get me wrong. When yeah. I first heard of digital retailing coming out, I'm like, okay, this is cool. But then my, my, my very, very second thought, my second thought was buying, buying. Did, did we skip the shopping experience altogether? Right. It's like yeah. we did as an industry, we did skip that. And I know you had some thoughts on that too. Yeah, I think the, the digital retailing, when it, like, to your point, when it first came out, I felt like it was sort of at the end of the process and we hadn't built trust yet. And there mm -hmm. we we're asking somebody on our website to give us all this personal information. And, you know, we, we need to, you know, get out front of that, if you will, and assist the consumer in discovering the vehicle that's right for them. And so you don't see a lot of tools other than make model price, make model years. 
um, on our website. And, and, you know, we, we need tools that say, you know, that ask the consumer questions and engage them much like your salespeople would, um, or hopefully would, uh, unfortunately I've seen a lot of that dialogue too. It doesn't always line up with what the consumer uh, is hopeful uh, for, but, uh, you know, asking the consumer questions about what is important to you in a vehicle. Um, you know, tell me about your use case for the vehicle. Not unlike we as consumers would use, you know, when we're, we're trying to buy anything and I need a couch to fit in this corner and needs to be this color and, and, and really helping consumers find the right vehicle for themselves that, that match their budget, not just, um, to your point, making it very much, you know, um, I'm trying to think it varies. Uh, We're forcing people into a buying process before correct, we even provided right. them a shopping experience. Instead shopping of inviting process. them into one. Exactly. Right. You yeah. know, and it's, it's funny. It's like, look, it made sense why as an industry, we adopted the concept of digital retailing so fast. And don't get me wrong. I don't, it's not that I, I don't like digital retailing. Right. I just feel like we jumped the gun a little bit. And right. especially for a lot of dealerships, because, and the reason why we like that is because it fits our needs. Right. right. It, it's, right. it, it makes sense for us. Right. You know, it's because it, it allows the customer to to go through kind of a, a, a build and price uh, discovery. And then when it gets to me, that lead is more qualified. Well, that's crap. Right. right. As an industry, we need to nurture that discovery portion, which is the, the shopping experience. You know, what's funny is, you know, as an agency, we create a lot of um, uh, content for dealerships websites. And I'll tell you today, even today, and this has been the case for almost 10 years, um, when we build out like really solid educational comparison pages on dealerships websites, like what is really the difference between a Ford Escape and a Hyundai Tucson? Right. You know, and we, and, we, and we don't try to be biased in it, but we really just try to present the facts. Those pages are still 10 years, 10 years later, still one of the best performing pages on a dealership's website because we're allowing the customer to do their own discovery and the cool thing is we're building trust because we're not coming in, in in a biased way. And we're being honest. We're like, look, here are the three things that the escape has and we may not. But here are the three things we do have that the escape doesn't, right? And right. we're finding that that honesty and transparency and allowing that customer to get to the discovery allows us to connect with them. And when we watch them go through that funnel, and by the time they do hit a lead, they are much closer to a point where they are ready to take a test drive. They're ready to talk, finance, or lease payments and stuff like that. Um, but to your point, it's like, it doesn't make sense. Like I, it's funny. It's like as an industry, we talk about, well, the average consumer's, uh, buying cycle is, uh, usually 90 days long and they spend up to 18 hours on the internet. And we say it like, it's a good thing. Like it's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, have you not noticed what they're like, again, I mentioned my son works for Amazon. They don't even manage, they don't even measure time on site. They're literally, how fast can I get you to what you want, get it bought and get you out of here, right? It's not, you know, how long can I keep you on my website? That's not, that's not the goal of the consumer when they go there. The goal is not how long can I spend, how much time can I spend on this website? The goal is find what I want, buy it, be done and, and get back to my life of you know, enjoying playtime with my kids or whatever, right? Exactly. And, uh, and so often we, we think that more time means, you know, more interest. No, we used to actually, one of the things in the algorithms back in, in my prior company, Dadium, you know, we actually look at, if somebody looked at, you know, we, we looked at contextual behavior in a sense, somebody might look at seven Ford F-150s mm -hmm. and three Nissan Altimas and you go, oh, they're more interested in the F-150. Well, not necessarily. It could just mean they can't find what they want in the F-150, you know. And so we would 
and look at other behaviors. Well, when did they look at that Titan versus the F-150? What other behaviors did they get pre-qualified on a Titan and not the F-150? So those other behaviors. And so we looked at recency, frequency, and the sequence of behaviors to determine where was the real intent. And it could actually be at the Titan. And they were fortunate enough to only have to look at three Titans to find the car, they, you know, the vehicle they wanted. Well, or the F-150, they looked at seven and gave up on it. Well, and, you know, so, and, and that's so true. I mean, look, uh, vehicles, uh, I think, it, look, vehicles used to have very singular audiences, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, trucks, truck people bought trucks, right? That was it. Right. That's not the case anymore, no. all right? Um, right. High-level executives will go buy $100,000 trucks, all right? Uh, there are families out there that instead of buying a minivan, all right, a truck, depending on the, the the options can be more fuel efficient. So you're right. seeing more families buy trucks, right? Like there's that, see that's, that's why I think is really kind of interesting is and to your point as you were saying before is, is that <clears throat> we're looking at this data and we're just assuming that this person is just pigeonholed into this one place. Right. But that's not necessarily the case. They could look, they could be looking at a truck, a minivan and an SUV mm -hmm. as a family vehicle. And that that's the way it is today. They used to be like that, right? And then when you start looking at SUVs, let's say I am someone who's looking for an SUV. Well, damn, you got to look at a lot of these manufacturers. They're building nine different SUVs. Yes. They almost all look identical to me. I mean, I mean what is this? Like, so like the, you have like a Nissan, right? They have the Cash Guy, the Kicks, the Rogue, yeah. the Murano, the Pathfinder. I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, and, and point then, about all the options available to consumers. And everything are, in between. Overwhelmed. Somebody help me, please. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. We yeah. need a shopping experience. And I think if anybody's out there watching and listening to this, uh, I think what Eric's has brought up and what we've been talking about so far is seriously take a look at your website. Understand that your website is not just a buying tool, but it is a shopping tool. And if you have not committed the time to, to uh, create that kind of shopping discovery slash research content on your site, then you're actually missing out on a pretty big opportunity to connect with some, with some great customers out there. Now, kind of moving into our next sub uh, subject, which I think is kind of a, just an extension of what we've been talking about so far, as we talked about this earlier, is this, this new one-to-one -one reality, or what mm -hmm. I'm calling Internet 3.0, right? I'm, I, I think of the Internet 1.0, it was just about uh, the, the, the connection, all right, connecting device, connecting devices from all around the world, and then Internet 2.0 was was a lot about now the communication, the communication right. between all these devices, right? And now video and, and audio it, and all exactly video and audio, and it's just so it's all all and then Internet 3.0, and it, we kind of touched on a little bit it is more of a one to one experience. And now you got some thoughts on this, so I'd love to kind of hear, you know, when, when you hear that, what how do you or how do you define, I guess, that that one to one reality. So it's basically allowing the consumer to, you know, push signals out that says, these are the things I'm interested in. And then having the experience at that point customized uh, to them. You know, so, for example, in our case, we use a we use a number of things. But one of the things we use is a quiz that's based on uh, millions of consumer satisfaction surveys, posts, you know, basically consumer experience, owner experience surveys after, you know, you purchase a car. And then we ask you the questions and then we look at prior ownership of, of vehicles and come back to you and say, these are the best vehicles aligned uh, with you. In other words, other people like you found the most satisfaction with ownership of these vehicles. And then from there, they can say, well, find me a car like that near me and maybe get me pre-qualified. I want to schedule a test drive. All kinds of things can happen at that point. But the experience after those initial questions, and it's a dialogue, by the way, with uh, 
with our machine, mm-hmm. uh, ask five questions. It then starts to curate the experience for the consumer into here's the vehicles, here's where they are, and, and what other information would you like about them? Would you like to ask a, a question about that car? Just push this button. Um, and so I'm not having to go from you know one side to the other. I'm not having to fill out forms. I'm literally being asked, uh, in our case, it's five questions. And now the whole world of automotive is coming to me uh, and, and formatted and structured to fit how I answer those questions. You know, it's it's a digital consultant. Yes. And, it, and it's funny because when I think of this and it's it, look, it is what it is. It's happening. OK. But, you know, as as an industry, I mean, I remember when I first got into the business and, you know, uh, you were considered the best salesperson because you knew it. You knew everything. All right. You didn't just know everything about your own product. You knew everything about everybody else's product. All right. And someone can come in and legitimately have a real consultation with you around what was the best solution of a vehicle or vehicle solution for your needs. And I mean, I can't the amount of time and training and coaching that I received to be that person. And also is one of the reasons why I kept those customers coming back to me. For so many years, I'm referring so much business was me because I was that consultant. But Eric, I hate to say it, but over the last five or seven years, I have seen less and less of real professional consultants. And and I'll tell you uh, why I think this is true. Um, too often, I'll go into a dealership, and like you, you've had the opportunity to visit thousands of dealerships. I've had opportunities to visit a thousand dealerships. As an industry, or especially in the management level, we're accepting ac- accepting of the statement that the customer knows more about the product than we do. Right. That, it pisses me off. Like it blows my freaking mind as an industry that we are okay with a customer knowing more about the product than ourselves. And because of that, I feel like in the, we've not, look, some dealerships do a great job of this. Okay. This is not all, all dealerships, but I would say majority of dealerships out there are so focused on the transaction that they forgot how to be freaking consultants. Right, um, right. And now the computers are going to do it for us. Yep, they are. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, what does that look like? I'm, I'm just curious. How how do you see that kind of playing out in in the dealership environment? Because I, I think there are people listening, and they're probably they're shaking, they're agreeing with us, or they're not agreeing with us, one or the other. But how do you see that playing out in a dealership of kind of that that digital consultant or that one to one reality? Well, <laughs> I think you're going to see sort of more and more third party incursion into the sales process. I just, you know, because of the convenience, Mm -hmm. I, as a consumer don't want to visit, you know, one, they stop visiting dealerships. Why? Because, Oh, I have the convenience of the internet to visit websites. Well, now I don't want to visit websites. And so you're going to have more and more of the devices, the walled gardens, the Googles, the apples, you know, controlling, uh, that island you talked about, right? Controlling um, what gets planted on the island, right? And that island's going to be uniquely cultivated for every individual, right? So actually, you think about Apple, it's not one island. It's millions of individual islands. Everybody's exactly. phones configured differently, series pulling different data and pulling all that together. And so, and then then they're going to reach out to the, to the sort of delivery expert, right? Uh, or reach out to the... Uh, maybe the salesperson in the dealership when the machine can't answer the question. So think about software. We hear a lot about tier one, tier two, tier three support. Well, you're going to have 
you know, this, this process where the machines are answering the top level questions, and then it's going to reach out to uh, open a dialogue uh, or a channel between that island that the consumer has built for themselves through through the Apple ecosystem. Uh, out, they're going to reach out across the bay, if you will, <laughs> to the expert on the shore because they can't find what they want on the island. But over time, more and more of that information is going to be on that island. But there, there is always a level of human engagement and and just, you know, I want some confirmation, if you will, um, of what my machine's doing for me that, you know, they're, they're always going to be a reach out. But so it's almost like you're inverting now to where the salesperson is going to have to be even more of an expert because they're there exactly. to handle what the machines can't handle. And what the machines can handle is, of course, going to continue to continue to to expand. Right? Yeah, no, Just no, like- you're 100 right. Look, if, if a machine, a machine can tell me the uh, rear axle ratio between an F250 and an F350, all right, um, then then what information does the sales? What does the consultant look like moving forward? I actually agree with you. I I guess that's actually more of a positive way to look look at it. Is yeah. that really what we're going to get? Is along with the Internet 3.0 and this more one to one reality, all right, also becomes a more of a, a consultant 3.0. Right. You know, um, kids, right. It's like you, you are going to be rewarded more now on. All right. What information what information we do have now, how I kind of see that playing out is, um, you know, look, this is I've seen good examples. I've seen bad examples of this right now. Like, you know, I, I just did this uh, live chat the other day with um, my Internet company. OK, now I knew I was talking to a bot in the beginning, right? And it was asking me a series of questions. I could just tell really quick that this was a bot, but I was yeah. answering the yeah. questions, right? And I can see what it was trying to do. It was trying to see if if it had the information to based on what I was trying to go. Now, obviously, the bot couldn't do it, but I thought what was really impressive is that the bot was able to take uh, the information I did present it and actually transfer me to a department, which I would have never thought I needed to be transferred to. Right. Right. right, but it did transfer me to a department that was able to get my questions, my concern answered probably faster. Because what I would have done is I probably would have gone to that first level of support, and that first level of support I would have had to explain to them everything that I explained to them, and then they would have tried to transfer me to another person, and that person may or may not have been able to have the right one, and then I finally I may have had to go to a level three support person, right? Right. But instead, right. the machine actually sent me directly to level three. Correct. Just yeah. based based on my account, based on the information, and based on what I was asking for, it, it immediately sent me to that. And, and I was like, oh, "Wait, this was actually faster." I was like, "This right. was actually this was a great this was, it was a great experience." But now, of course, we've also seen the opposite, where you know you, you you go on one of these, you fill out the information, then you get on the phone with a live person, they ask you the same bloody questions that you just answered a minute ago with the, with the damn machine. But um, no, I, I like this idea of a consultant 3.0, right? Uh, let's elaborate a little bit more on that consultant 3.0 before we move to the next topic. You know, to you, what does that person look like and how do we maybe find those people or train those people? Yeah, so I think the first thing is they they have to be um, people who are very, it's, it's very oriented toward helping people solve problems. Um, and being very good listeners, mm-hmm. um, and you know, when I, when I say this out loud, I think, wow, this is really an inversion talking about the inversion of the internet. There's sort of an inversion of, of the dealership experience at the same time, right? It's, it's, uh, um, I'm, uh, you know, you, you, the consumers walked in and with things like QR codes, et cetera, like you can physically transfer, transfer 
the online experience to into a showroom. And that's actually something we use as QR code. So when the consumer walks into the showroom, their entire online experience with your dealership is there with, you know, with just the scanning of the QR code. Mm -hmm. So at that point, then the consumer, excuse me, the salesperson can jump in and say, Oh, I see you've this is the car you wanted. This is, you've gotten pre-qualified. Here's your trade. All that information's there. And then their job is just to, you know, polish out the the edges right around the corners. And, uh, and, and, you know, um, you know, bring, bring the sale, you know, into a physical manifestation essentially of the digital experience the consumer had to that point. And so people who are able to be attentive to, to one, understand that digital experience, understand the product, understand how to ask questions, shut up and listen. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, you know, basically then take that information and, and, and then very quickly, again, consumers still want convenience. They don't want four hours in a dealership. Um, I always joke, by the way, we're selling cars because they were more convenient than horses. So, <laughs> right, so consumer wants convenience. So how do I uh, do that in a way that's, you know, um, as a salesperson uh, that is um, presented, you know, based on that individual's needs versus this is the way I've been trained to treat everybody who comes through the door. Well, it's it, basically- it does really create, a, it's, it's creating a buying process, not a sales process. Correct. So it becomes a buying experience, not a sell, not a sales experience, right? I mean, look, the consumer comes in with their phone, their QR code, and says, mm-hmm. "Look, I'm at I'm at step seven. All right, right. Uh, pick me up from step seven and take me home to step ten. You know, yeah. that like that's that that's what that that's what they're saying. Uh, unfortunately, I still find a lot of dealerships are going, "Oh, you're at step seven. Great, let's go back to step one. Yes. kind of what I was talking about earlier, right? When I was talking about the yeah. bot or the machine, like I gave the machine all my information, and then I got on the phone with the person." And I repeat all the all, all the again. same information all over again, right? Yes. So no, I'm with you. I see that's exactly how I see the consultant 3.0 kind of playing out within it. Is right. is that? And I also think that changes the way that we actually uh, a pay structure. I think that changes. That's going to scare some people. When I say that right. statement, but oh, I think it also all- changes the way that we 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 compensate these people because now we're compensating them for an experience, not necessarily for the results. And we know that if we focus on the experience, those results will come. So I, I'm with you on that. In fact, that's probably an entire podcast. <laughs> in itself. Um, but I think until the entire industry gets to that place where they can actually execute and, and embrace the internet 3.0 and what the consultant 3.0 kind of looks like, you know, there are still things about, there are still ways that we're bringing people in through the door. Right. And we talked a little bit about this off camera and I think it's an important topic that we'll kind of segue into around, around incentives. And, you know, what is the incentive to have someone kind of come in through the door. Now, we're not necessarily talking about the manufacturer incentive. I want to talk more about the dealer incentive. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, buy the car and get a Las Vegas trip and get a, get you know, come in for a test drive for a chance to win a 50-inch TV. I mean, I, I think we've tried everything. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was telling you an example earlier when we were, when we were off camera. Uh, I, did, I did a campaign for a dealership where it was buy a car and get a goat. And uh, at least it was different. It was very unique, right? Um, now, now uh, from a disclaimer's perspective, the goat uh, was actually a collaboration we did with uh, World Vision, where we actually were donating goats on behalf of the people that were purchasing cars. And it was actually pretty fun. It looked, it was, it was a very, it was the creative was very funny. We had goats all over the dealers, or pictures of goats all over the dealerships. We had pictures of goats on the cars. Uh, we had a car stickered up with "Buy this and get a goat." So like, it, it was fun. Uh, but thinking back to that, there were still people that didn't necessarily quite connect even with that fun message. 
And, right. you know, you, you guys are kind of doing a different twist on this. And I'd love to kind of dive a little deeper into this. When, yeah. when you hear dealer incentives, all right, you take kind of a different method or different kind of, I guess, approach. How, how do you guys approach the dealer incentive world? Yeah, so first off, I immediately think that the term dealer incentive is misaligned. It's really a consumer incentive. Oh, okay, I like that. That's a good right? point. Yeah, and, and then if you think about often those incentives lie at the bottom of the sales funnel. Yes. Uh, they're, they're, they're incentives for the purchase, not for the discovery. Well, a consumer has to discover your inventory. They have to understand that inventory matches their needs. They have to know that that car is going to satisfy, you know, uh, the, the investment. They're going to get, you know, it's the right investment in the right car. And so a lot of times the consumer discovers the $25 gift card for a test drive <laughs> when they pick the car that they want to test drive yep. in versus earning incentives as they've gone through the sales process to get there. Now, the cool thing was with the one-to-one internet, we can start to align incentives on a one-to-one basis uh, based upon that consumer's behavior and based upon their trade even. So maybe, you know, there's a, a different incentive that they've got a particular trade, you know, et cetera. And so let me just sort of distill this. Instead of all the incentive lying, you know, lying at the end of, of the sales process, move those incentives up up the sales funnel so that I'm encouraging a consumer to discover my vehicle in the first place. I'm encouraging a consumer to get pre-qualified on that car. I'm concerned, uh, incentivizing a consumer to take actions that increase the probability they're going to want to test drive this car, not just reward them when they come to that decision themselves, rather than sort of as a dealer, we're sort of passively waiting at the bottom of the funnel, move the incentives up funnel. The analogy I use uh, is I'm sure we've all seen that scene and maybe we've lived out this scene in our, <laughs> in our lives where, you know, they, we, we're going to have a romantic evening and we've got the candles and the rose petals. And, you know, imagine if all those rose petals were only in the bedroom, right? Uh, but what happens, of course, they line them up from the door. Why? Is they want them to follow a path that leads to uh, this romantic evening, right? If there were no rose petals uh, in the rest of the house, they could wander around the house for hours before they discover the incentive you know, that awaits them. And that's essentially kind of what we're doing with a lot of the dealer incentives is we're letting the consumer wander about the internet, wander through the sales funnel, through the process of discovery and qualifying, um, and then telling, oh, and oh, I'm so glad you got here. By the way, here's an extra, you know, incentive for you. When we really should be uh, creating sort of a gamification environment where we're creating incentives along the path to purchase so that they stay on it and move more quickly through it and, and you know, uh, incentivize them to discover the, the kinds of content that are, are useful to them in deciding what car they want to have. I, I really like the idea of incentivizing the discovery, right? Um, you know, because it does come, it, it's those breadcrumbs or the, right. the rose right. petals, right. you know, right. it kind of comes to it. Right. I was thinking back even when, um, you know, we, we, ha- one of the best campaigns that we run uh, at our, at my dealership was uh, when you came into the dealership as a part of the meet and greet. So this was way, way, very early in the process is we, uh, we talked to you about um, how much we appreciated their time and that everybody that, that uh, chooses to do business with us, we always have a thank you gift for them. Oh, and, nice. you know, we would have uh, multiple things, not just one thing. I thought that was also really key too, right? It was like, you know, we'd have six or seven different thank you gifts and we would say, hey, look, no, no pressure, but just, I need to know kind of now, which one of those gifts, if you guys do decide to do business with us, you know, would you like to have as your thank you 
thank you purchase or thank you for purchasing right we didn't we didn't we didn't present it as an incentive uh but now i kind of see what you're talking about and almost kind of taking that same model but mm-hmm. starting online with that right. messaging where you know kicking it old school we did it inside the dealership but it kind of creates those those breadcrumbs towards the purchase not necessarily rewarding for the purchase itself and, and, and by the way the redemption of those awards could be at the purchase right or yes. at the test drive but i'm per, i'm essentially lying, laying low it's almost like a video game like if you think yeah. about video games the way they're organized right you get to oh, each level I got, get a little stage, I got the golden sword you know uh and then i got to the next stage and i got the magic potion well it's the same you know there's they're incentivizing people to move through a process to get to you know, the end of the game. Well, that could be done in our environment, especially in this one-to-one world where I can lay incentives to say, watch this video, or maybe it's a research environment. Answer these three questions and earn an additional $5 toward a future test drive or a future purchase, right? Yes. So, yeah, the idea is to lay those broad comes out in a way that, you know, provides the consumer information and content, helps them navigate all those myriad choices they have that ultimately, you know, hopefully if with the right content, you know, yields a test drive or a sale uh, in your dealership rather than just sort of passively waiting for the consumer to show up and, and take advantage of that. The other thing about that too, is you can dynamically do them as well. So now that's interesting. Know, we talked a little bit about that before. Uh, go right. ahead and elaborate a little bit more on how we do that dynamically. And so a lot of the dealer incentives, just from an administrative standpoint, I think that's why you see them is that every car has the same incentive on it as far as a test drive and those kinds of things. Well, mm-hmm. The car has been on your lot 120 days versus one that's been there 10 days or the car that, you know, got, is, is not as hot a vehicle in the marketplace as, say, maybe your F-150 doesn't require the same level of incentive for that test drive, if any, right? Sure. Plus, just the market dynamics change. So, so one of the things we're getting ready to watch, for example, is share with me your, you know, your test drive, or excuse me, share with me your trade information and, and, and lock special pricing on this car. Because we do that every day when people bring in different trades, we can uh, we offer different prices, and so we, all that can be done digitally online, and you can use that sort of gamification to get information uh, from the consumer, or you know, get them into a process to buy your vehicle uh, that's unique to them and unique to your particular market dynamics. And you know, the the cool thing is this is not a foreign concept to us, right? No. All right, we do this. After the purchase happens, right? They like there are dealerships that have done phenomenal at executing great loyalty programs, uh, which mm-hmm. is really just kind of a breadcrumb or kind of a, a, a gamification of right. you know of your lo- of your loyalty of rewarding you for yeah. your consistent loyalty, right? It's like and but you know every company does this, right? I go in, I have my Air Miles card, and they ask me for it, right? And and I've seen dealerships, I've seen some do great jobs, I've seen some fail at this, but but you know I've done great jobs of you know every single time that they come in for the service, they get those X amount of points, right? Then they get then then as they move up, they can become a, a platinum and then a gold or a diamond right. customer, right. And, you know? And it's like oh you know it's like I actually had one dealership I thought did. A really good job of this they actually even created a separate lounge and this was a luxury oh, dealership okay. they actually created a separate lounge for their platinum service customers so right. they went I, I understand what the concept was they i don't know how well it was right? executed yeah. what yeah. was that it had alcohol right <laughs> actually i'll tell you what it had you'll get a kick out of this it had an automated <laughs> pancake machine oh no and awesome. And not only like an like, dude, it was it's a twenty thousand dollar automated pancake machine. 
Like it's ridiculous. Uh, you could go upstairs and there's this big tablet connected to this monster machine and you can yeah. hit the button and it would make you fresh pancakes. And that's what you got. I get when my you car became... service there just to experience the automated pancake machine. So. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> um, but that's but not what I'm the, the point of this is this is not a foreign concept to us. All right. We should be able to see what we do on the loyalty level and kind of embrace that same type of red crumb, rose petal gamification to the discovery of why they should do business with us. Not just for- while you shop that ultimately are redeemable when you purchase a vehicle. See, I like that. That's yeah. that's see that that's that's very cool. Hey, Eric, I know we're heading towards the tail end of our All time right. today. Boy, we've covered some amazing topics. We talked about the the death of the cookie and how that impacts our marketing efforts and challenges us as an industry to come up with better messaging and better targeting. We talked about consumer demand for a shopping experience, which yeah. <laughs> the last year as an industry we've definitely adopted a buying experience, but we forgot. <laughs> one yeah. step to that which yeah. is the shopping one discovery. and yeah. look I, I i had i had a lot of fun jamming with you on the the new one-to-one reality and what that internet 3.0 and what that consultant 3.0 uh we might have i think we might have to do a round two and kind of more elaborate on that because that's very cool and i love the, what we're talking about as far as not dealer incentives but consumer incentives i love the fact that you brought up consumer stuff because i think it's better creating those breadcrumbs Man, we've had a lot of fun today. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to jam with me today. But before I let you go, though, for everybody out there that's watching and listening and have really enjoyed this conversation and maybe would like to continue this conversation with you, what's the best way to connect with you? So I'm just going to give them my email address. Let's right? do it. We're talking one-to-one here. There we go. Go to my website, fill out a form. No, 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 no. <laughs> just send me an email at eric at insearchx.com. Very simple. And... Uh, and then we'll we'll connect there and and uh, see if we can't change the world together. That's awesome. I love it. Hey, Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a lot of fun. You have yourself an amazing day. Thank you, Jason. Bye now. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy with Jason podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to check out the full podcast library at strategywithjason.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Happy podcasting.